and welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode, we'll be talking about crafting systems. You know, if I've learned anything from crafting in games, it's that 99% of all clothing is made from rat pelts. To help me discuss crafting is a man who makes the finest Tempest boots in all of Azeroth, my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? My gig was more cloth, silk cloth farming. I used to buy and trade that on the marketplace or the auction house. Is this okay? So this is where at the beginning of a show I can never tell if you're like actually messing with me or no, no, no. That that was like how I made like all my gold and when I was playing World of Warcraft was I would buy low and then uh, undersell the market. I all right, you're you're getting way too ahead of us. Like this is already (laughs) stuff I want to be talking about in this episode. We can't do this here. You're supposed to make some dumb fart joke and then I'm supposed to go what? And that's how we start this show. Well, I had to correct the record. Tempest boots. That was not my gig. That was someone else's territory. Okay. Okay. <laughs> On my server. Anyways. I didn't realize this was like, this was like actually like personal for you. Yeah. Yeah. If there was Listen, one you, topic, you don't I walk into were... someone else's territory and just start making boots. Okay. <laughs> if this, if, if there was one thing I thought you would get offended about, it would have been last or last episode when I was uh, ragging on Metal Gear Solid. I didn't realize Tempest boots in World of Warcraft was where you drew the goddamn line. There's got to be a line somewhere. <laughs> I guess, man. Oh man, uh, Jared, we have I, I I have been looking forward to talking about crafting for a long time, and we have a great guest to talk about crafting with. He's the creative director at Outer Loop Games, the team behind the new Falcon Age. Please welcome to the show Chandana Ekanayake. Eka, how you doing, man? How wow. did how did I do on your name? Great, you did great. Now was I'll it? I'll give you eighty eight percent. Eighty eight percent. Oh my gosh, you that's have, a passing grade, man. It is. It's, it's that's, a, that's a very passing grade. It's a B. It's a B plus, and I'll take it. It's a B plus. You have such a beautiful name, and I have. I've. I'm cursed with this dumb tongue. H- how do you say your name, please? I, I want. I want. I want to hear your name in in the way it was supposed to be spoken. All right. You're like you said. You're very close. It's Chandana, Ekanayaka. Ekanayaka. There we go. Like I said, such a such a beautiful name. I'm I'm apologize about butchering it. <laughs> oh no no no, it's not. Believe me, it's been butchered. This was not a butchering. So this is a okay. B plus. <laughs> Ekaman, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being here, man. My Twitter feed had completely filled up with Falcon Age when you guys released Falcon Age, and I was like, oh, this guy seems interesting. I want to I want to get him on our show. And I started doing a little research on you, and I found out that you worked on Super Monday Night Combat, one of my one of my all time favorite Mine games too. Uh, so <laughs> many of hours so, raging at that game. I, oh yeah, yes. for sure. So oh, I want to hear all about that. <laughs> I I am excited. I'm I am excited to talk to you about Falcon Age. We'll get to that, but first, Super Super Monday Night Combat. <laughs> okay, all right. So I I want to know like what, what was your role on Super Monday Night Combat? So you know this is a follow up to Monday Night Combat, which is the same team. We're a small team. I think at the time, Super was probably about 20, 18, 20 people. Really? Um, I was. Oh my yeah. gosh! So my role it varied a lot when you're on a small team, but like I was the art director, producer on it, but also did some design and content stuff. So you know, there's it varied. But I mean, the art was part of my yeah. favorite things about that game. It had such a unique style. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that's a game that was to me driven so much by the characters, and not just not just like the the playable characters, but also. Uh, the the announcers and uh, the mascots and everything. Chicky Cantor. Man. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I have a hard time. I, I 
we've said it on this show a million times. I know nothing about like game design or video game business or any of that stuff. Right. This will come as forty seven episodes in, and you've learned nothing so far. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm actually dumber than when we started <laughs> somehow. Well, it's. I mean, it's not an easy topic, even for people that are making games. It's just it, the you know it changes so often too, right? Well, I, That's one of the things I like about it too. I appreciate you trying to make me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> but, so. Super Monday Night Combat seems like the, like an yeah. interesting game. Like I, I thought it was one of the most amazing online games. I'm I'm curious, like what the, you know, like how how successful was the game for you? Like did it, did it meet the expectations that you guys set out for when you built that game? Did it it exceed them? Like how how did it do for for Uber and uh, for the team? Right. So I want to back up a little bit. With Monday Night Combat, that concept came about while we were all working at a company called Gas Powered Games, and there's a game called Demigod that a couple of the guys that started Uber uh, with me worked on. Demigod was a Dota clone. Or a version of a Dota game, right? Before mm-hmm. Dota 2, and this is when Dota 1 was, you know, a Warcraft mod. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a take on that. And Monday Night Combat was like, what if we made a third a shooter in the, in the with Dota mechanics? And that's how that came to be. And Monday Night Combat was more of a shooter with Dota elements, meaning like, there's character classes or characters with abilities and cooldowns, right? Mm-hmm. And the rest was more of a shooter thing. And then we had the creeps with the with the robots and things like that. And then when we were thinking about Super Monday Night Combat, it was like, what if we cranked up the dotiness of it more? Yeah, you did. What does that look like? To your question, was it a success? No, it was not successful. For I it's heart that is so heartbreaking not, not to hear. Financially successful because I, but fan base was great. There was a small hardcore fan base, but response has been really good. It's just for us as a business, we didn't know what we were getting into. Yeah. We had no idea what free to play meant. And obviously, you know, this changed since that time. That was 2012 or 20, 2019. Um, we, we just didn't realize how long of a runway we needed to, to figure that out as a game, as a service. Is that, was that even a term back then? I guess I, it was. Right? Maybe. I mean, it was also just like at the know. very start of esports starting to become a, like a mainstream thing so like i'm not surprised like yeah. and seeing and how to support of, yeah. that kind of thing and what kind of environment that was going to turn into yeah like, i could predict that and all these economic models all these economic right. models have changed so drastically since yeah then. i think for us we were looking at like uh, league of legends right that, mm-hmm. that was the thing that was dominant and we're like oh that that's interesting and there's our thinking was we'd like to do a little bigger game and keep it going and do updates and things like that and we, we thought the model made sense for the time but we just didn't have sort of the scale. And so there's a lot of things we had to do to make that game work. Like um, there wasn't off the shelf tools to do the purchasing and account management and all this back end stuff that you guys never see, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but to like, how do we handle that? How do we keep track of user, what they have bought, what they don't, and things like that? There's more stuff like that now that's available, but back then we had to create it. So we, we spun this whole, we spent a lot of time building that side of it. And that got spun off as a different company, which is called Playfab. And Playfab got sold to Microsoft later. Um, so that's a whole service that was like user authentication and uh, like economy management and things people own. So you guys had to build that from scratch? We had to build that wow. from scratch. I want, I, want so, a, I want a book written about this. <laughs> <laughs> So that was because uh, everybody ended up kind of rolling their own. We talked to the, you know, 
we were we were in Bellevue, Washington, right near Valve, and um, so we talked to the TF2 team. They're like, oh yeah, we just do our own. So there wasn't really anything even on Steam that we could use to start that. So that took up a lot of time. I mean, it was the the good that came out about it is that you know we kind of learned a bunch of things, but um, balancing a game and releasing updates on a weekly basis was really, really, really difficult. I um, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, just the and also the content pipeline, like how long it takes to build things for the mm-hmm. characters, and and also trying to find that balance. Like, is this too much Dota? Is this not enough Dota? You know. Different people want different things. I I so, thought the game yeah. was perfect. It feels like a <laughs> yeah. game. It feels like a game that um that came out like five years too early. Like I, I think if if it had come out in whatever like 2016, this game would have would have killed. And I, th- I, think, I think it was yeah. I think it was ahead of its time. I think you got. I think your team made a game. Except it would have been a battle that was ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think also. I mean, imagine Super Mario Night Combat Battle Royale. Be, I've been know, waiting for someone to wait do something like that to give like a wait nice a bit of character to the announcers and wait a second. Yes. No, because like, yeah. I mean, Trademark. I think we also Copyright. people were comparing <laughs> Overwatch to us too a little bit. Sure. When Overwatch came out. Oh, um, I I did a I did a a whole tweet thread about the uh, the inspiration of uh, Super Monday Night Combat on Overwatch. Yeah, Cheston Chester. Wait. <laughs> Yeah, Cheston. Oh, he was my. That was my main. That was my main. Yeah. So when I saw Winston, I was like, w- w- "What?" <laughs> it's funny because I haven't thought about these characters in so long. Like I, I remember, you know, coming up with them and designing them, and like with the team and talking about like their, well, you know, the lore and that. But I haven't thought about some right now. Kind of so long, I, I can't remember a lot of it. Mm. It's interesting. It holds a very dear place in our hearts. I just know for us as as a team, we had so much fun coming up with the characters and like the animation yeah. stuff and like figuring out the skills and uh, and play testing. Like that's the thing that we loved about Monday Night Combat World. It was just fun to play test. Like we would just, you know, we would end up catching ourselves play testing too much because it was we would you know get super competitive in the office too, right? Because everybody, everybody's in the same room, so. You know, you can see mm-hmm. how it gets competitive. <laughs> the fun, yeah, that sure. game just exuded fun at every level. Like the art design, the announcers, Seriously. the character design. It was just, I haven't yeah. played anything like that. I've been waiting for someone to put that kind of effort into a, a multiplayer competitive game. But, um, you know, yeah. even Overwatch doesn't really have that level of, it takes itself a little bit too seriously sometimes. And that's yeah. what I liked about Super Monday Night Combat. It was silly. It didn't stop me from raging and, and getting too serious during some games. You know, but, hey, that's competitive for you. And, you know... Right, and for us, like we we used what we had, right? We had a great animation team. Like our producer, one of our producers, Greg, was Mickey Cantor, right? Like he he's That's an improv, amazing. Uh, improv actor in Seattle. So we used him and his improv buddies for different characters in the game. That's so perfect. Um, and because he was there in the office, we could record things really quickly, right? Like to update them, mm-hmm. things like that. So. Now, if, yeah. if if there's people if there's people listening to this and they go like, "Ooh, that sounds like the perfect game. I want to go play that." <laughs> um, I yeah, I experienced. So, the game's no longer around, correct? Like, it, it, it the servers and everything got shut down because of the EU law changes, if I'm remembering. Yeah, correctly. and then you know it wasn't really making money or anything. So I don't. I think you know this happened after I left. But Uber. that was like when that happened, and even even though I hadn't played the game in a while, when this when yeah. uh, when that change had happened. I right. was still like I was still heartbroken because I I still love the idea that people were were still uh, playing that game and everything and and the fact that as much as we as as much as we're talking about it now people can't go and experience it break, right breaks no my that heart. makes me sad that makes me really sad yeah <laughs> it breaks my um, heart. 
there's still a small community of people that play Monday Night Combat. What? Now I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go check this out too. Yeah, the servers are. You can host your own, and I think we still have a. There's still a official hosted server somewhere. Um, nice. So that's interesting. Yeah. Well, um, did I answer your question? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe <laughs> we're just gonna fanboy for a little I just, bit. Yeah, I know. We're, this is this is us fanboying out. Um, cause no, we have, I mean we have just... a, we have an absolute rock star on our show right now. <laughs> oh man. It's a great team. Like uh, it was so super fun. I, I I miss those guys a lot. Yeah, I mean, because the Outer Loop team, it's four of us that worked on that game on those games. Yeah, and I don't know if you I don't know if you'd be able to say anything. Number three. You mean Monday Night Combat three? Yeah. And oh, any, I don't know. Any chance? Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, that's kind of what I figured, you know, but I I I I feel like I wouldn't have done my due diligence if I didn't ask the dumb. In questions. a world of infinite universes, uh, I mean, I will tell you, could happen. Yeah, it's something we liked a lot. We did. After that, we did uh, Planetary Annihilation, mm-hmm. but we, you know, we talked about doing other stuff with Monday Night Combat. What it would be look like. John, the main designer on it, he's not there anymore. Um, I'm not there anymore. Animation team isn't there anymore. Actually, the only person left at Uber that worked on those game is Howard, our sound designer slash uh, composer, who did a brilliant job on those games. So who do I buy the rights from, and then who do I sell them to <laughs> to get a number three? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, and yeah. and as much as I love Super Monday Night Combat, I don't want to spend all our time talking about that because you have you actually have a, a brand new, very exciting game out, Falcon Age, uh, which mm-hmm. you are the the creative director on. Is that correct? Yes. What is a creative director? <laughs> um, again, I, again, I I'll, it, I'll reiterate. I know nothing about game design, so I'm curious. Sure, curious and it's what probably, your role is. Uh, right, and it varies. You know, a, a, a creative director on an Ubisoft team probably means very different than one at Outer Loop. So for us, Outer Loop is on this project is nine people. The teams get um, smaller. Yeah, yeah. That's oh my gosh. Like the things that that people are able to do with such small teams now blows my mind. To even learn like how big the, the team was on Super Monday Night Combat is is mind blowing to me. Just just like thinking about the amount of work that goes into that, and then you've got you have this new VR like a game built in VR, this emerging technology, and it's only nine people. Is that's wild? Yeah, I mean, I, I, a little back history on that. Uh, while we were at Uber. Myself and the three other people that worked on Falcon that started Outer Loop, we worked on two other VR games with a team of seven to nine. The first one was called Wayward Sky, which came out on PlayStation VR on launch. And then we did a game called Dino Frontier, which is like a city builder, mm-hmm. Western town builder, surrounded by dinosaurs. Yeah, that we one's cool. Dinosaurs. Yeah, and that was the same team. And then oh, um, right on. And we and then we started Outer Loop with you know me, myself and three other core people from the, those two games. So when you've been working together for 10, 15 years, it's things happen faster than a, with a brand new team. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. You, you know, just got like everything just clicks into place. Right, and you know what you know what each person brings to the table and mm-hmm. what they like. Um, so we tend to design games around the crew that we have too, and things we like to work on. Um, you know, our animator Ong, has been, I've been working with since I don't know, fifteen years back in the shiny days, like Enter the Matrix, Path of Neo, PS2 games. Um, all the way up to Falcon Age, so it's, I think it's been 15 years. He, and he's just—he's just a monster animator. He just gets stuff done so fast, and it's always very creative stuff. Like you know, as you saw Monday Night Combat and Super Monday Night Combat um, stuff, and with the Falcon Age. Um, and our programmer Justin spent I think 10 years, and Ben, our effects artist, um, been working on it also 10 plus years. So my role: uh, art direction, running the business, design. Uh, making gifts, um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, 
uh, keeping track of the project, and then you know just the PR stuff part of it too. And how has your role changed since the game was released out into the wild? Uh, now we're looking at other platforms. Um, so our goal as a company is, uh, for Falcon Age has been try to get it, get on as many platforms as possible. So we're looking at exploring other um, platforms right now. And what? So, um, so currently it's on it's on PSVR and yeah. and where else is PS4 and, and just PS4 just PS4. PSVR. So you're looking in what other ones are you looking into? Are you free to say? All of them. All, all of just them. all of them. Perfect. <laughs> um, so my role right now has been looking at all the reviews and feedback and seeing what we could improve on. And so we, we've been we've been working actually since launch on new features. We patched twice on PS4, some content updates as well as bug fixes as well as some tweaks based on feedback. Yeah, when I when we were first talking, trying to fi- uh, settle on a topic, one of the, one of the uh, the senses I got from you was that. Y- you and your team have been very receptive to the feedback of the community. And I'm, I'm curious, like, what form does that take? Like, in, in what ways are you incorporating feedback from the community? And how are you balancing that feedback with, with your own, like, creative vision for what the, the game is? So based on our initial reviews and things, there are things that worked well, but things that didn't work well. And then, you know, you read enough reviews and there's common things that kind of bubble up. And some things are easy to fix. They're just like, oh, that was a dumb bug. We could easily fix that. So we've been tackling those, mm-hmm. and we patched. Like, I think a week after we launched, we patched with a bunch of bug fixes and, and some balance tweaks to things. Um, and then there are things that are much bigger that actually I can talk about now that kind of goes into our crafting system stuff too, which we're looking for the next update. Um, so we have the Falcon part of the game we have this crafting system where we build snacks for the for the falcon that mm-hmm. it gives it like temporary buffs like speed agility, you know speed defense and attack and things like that then we have outfits and items for the bird that have permanent upgrades buffs as you're wearing them and then those three things how do they work well together and a lot of the feedback has been that it's that they don't work well that that well together um, hmm. So I've I've been working on a with the rest of the team we've been working on a huge balance pass to have those three elements work well together. Interesting. And that, yeah, and that is changing some of the enemy behavior, changing the damage model, um, making it easier to craft things in, in various parts of the world, putting temporary buffs on the cosmetic items, like a five percent increase here, ten percent increase here. So that you can, even with cosmetic items, there's there's a bit of a balance play. So for people who aren't familiar with it, what is Falcon Age? I, sh- I should have probably oh, loaded sure. this question yeah. up front. But Sorry. <laughs> what, I think we got, it, we, we got ahead of ourselves. Yeah, so Falcon Age, it's a game about raising a baby falcon in a world that's been colonized by, well, a world that's a sci-fi fantasy world, sci-fi world, I don't want to say fantasy, but kind of near a uh, distant planet. We don't really talk about timeline, but there's robots, so I guess it's slightly slight you know, kind of grounded sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and you play the role of Ara, who, who's grown up on this planet, and it's been colonized for generations by these robot colonizers. You come from a long line of falcon hunters. You're thrown in a prison early in the game. Um, with the help of a falcon, you break out, and you meet up with your auntie, who's has been fighting the colonizers for a long time, and she's kind of given up till you show up with a bird. And the birds have kind of died off, and she teaches you sort of the ways of raising a bird. And then you uh, beat up robots and try to reclaim your land. Nice. And where did where did the the idea for the game come from? I don't know where ideas come from. 
<laughs> out of the ether. <laughs> it's probably a topic in itself, but like uh, keep a sort of a, a Google Doc of ideas over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, just jot jot stuff down that seemed interesting, and um, the mechanics of the sort of falconry came about watching YouTube videos of um, golden eagles attacking or, or trying to attack and kill mountain goats. <laughs> Oh, they like grab them and yank them off cliffs and stuff. Yeah, and and they're they're big. These goats are big, and the birds don't weigh that much, right? Uh, but they're strong, um, so they throw. You know, what I saw a clip of a, a golden eagle descending off a mountain, flying in, picking up a goat, and then dropping it, mm-hmm. and killing it. And, and I started doing research into, into falconry and sort of you know just the history of it and how people still use it in modern day and things like that. And then. Um, yeah, the colonization part. I grew up in Sri Lanka, which has uh, been a British colony for 150 plus years. So I always been wanted to, as a studio, when I started the studio, I've been wanted to tell stories uh, from underrepresented people, and I thought uh, that might be an interesting take with my personal history in it. And then the two writers on the game, Cassandra Ka and Meg Giants, are all also of Asian descent, and we we kind of bonded over talking about colonization. <laughs> Um, as so, as people often do, as people do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Meg Meg did another game called Eighty Days, which is very anti-colonial too. So that actually, I, I found her. I knew her briefly, but I heard her on a podcast talking about Eighty Days, and it was the same time I was thinking about Falcon Age, and I was like, oh, I should have, I should ask her to work on this with me. So, um, so the mechanics part of it, and then the sort of story part of the thing kind of came, came together, and. We'll figure out a good way to work work the two together into yeah. a into a cohesive game, hopefully. So that's wonderful. I, I like hearing stories like that, like how how you arrived at at the idea, like yeah. especially <laughs> in a medium like VR where everyone's still just trying to figure everything out. So coming up with new mechanics yeah. is just like I don't know, just got to kind of figure it out. There's not a whole lot of previous history to build on there. I like the idea that that part of this game is like a like a, a deeply rooted interest in your in your. Uh, cultural history and part of it is youtube videos <laughs> yeah which i think is, is like the perfect thing for modern <laughs> exactly you know, like, exactly <laughs> um and really i which we'll talk about more about this but there's a whole bird culture on internet which i didn't i wasn't really part of or or bird memes <laughs> was not a thing that i thought of at all when we were mm-hmm. developing this we just thought like Hey, the, the way we build things is like, hey, this is an interesting idea, so we'll prototype it. And we prototyped it in Unity, which is, um, you know, a common engine people use, uh, indie games, mm-hmm. indie game developers use, because it's just really easy out of the box. Um, so we, we just bought some, like, random assets off the asset store and started prototyping the, you know, calling the bird and sending the bird off mechanically in VR. And even at that stage, before we got all the animation stuff in, it seemed like, oh, this could be cool, and it's compelling in VR. Oh no. yeah, no the the idea of the the falconing and having the bird on your arm in VR is uh, immediately grabbing. And I'll, I'll I'll say like if anybody hasn't had a chance to check out Falcon Age, go take a look at it. And if uh, if you don't find the bird immediately adorable, I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, and that's it, it, yeah. It, like just yeah. that idea alone sh- should sell a lot of people in the game because because it is very cool and the bird is absolutely adorable. And you can fist bump your um, bird. You can fist, but you can yeah. high five. Yeah. You can dress so, your bird up in, in awesome outfits. Come on. If that doesn't sell you Come on the game, go, you're dead go inside. Go get that game. 
<laughs> now, be- before we move on to talking about crafting, I have to ask, are you able to talk about what's next for Outer Loop Games, or are you uh, still just working on supporting Falcon Age? Um, I, we're going to be supporting Falcon Age at least for the next six months, I think. Plus, um, it's just, again, we're a small team and mm-hmm. trying to get it on different platforms. We're going to probably do a platform at a time. And um, For me, every sort of release update is a thing to learn from. So depending on, you know, based on our initial release, we have a bunch of things we want to sort of update and, and tweak. And then we'll do, as with the next platform, we'll do the same thing. We'll see what people react to. and Yeah, because the other thing is... It, we have a hypothesis on how we think the game will be improved, but we could find out that the new balance changes are just terrible. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, um, hopefully, I mean, we'll we'll get feedback, we'll do testing, and we'll send codes out to people and things. Maybe to you guys Ooh. before it releases um, to get feedback. I would love that. <laughs> that would yeah. be awesome. <laughs> um, that gives us, a, that, at least it'll give us a, a, a general idea of where, you know, where people uh, feel if it's an improvement, is it not? There are things that we could be doing differently. Um, so that's, for me, like for Falcon Age, at least for the next six months or so, uh, we'll be working on, on supporting it, updating it. I mean, then we also have another game idea that I'm excited about, and we'll probably start prototyping that in between uh, over the next year, probably. Right on, man. Well, yeah. good luck with the updates, and good luck getting it on uh, on all the VR platforms. I, I hope that goes smoothly for you, because... Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there with Oculuses and Vives and stuff that'd love to get their hands on it. So ho- hopefully that uh, that all works out. Yep. Let's uh, let's jump into our discussion about crafting. Jared, typically start us off with a little history lesson. What, what what are the origins of crafting in video games? You know, sometimes when we come to this section, we can just kind of look at a Wikipedia article, right, and see what uh it was the first game for a lot of these things Shh, don't tell don't tell <laughs> people it's from wikipedia come on <laughs> at least try to make it sound like I we know, put right? it work <laughs> um a lot of the, a lot of times articles have been written and, and the work's been done for us but for some reason crafting has been a little harder to track down the the origins of crafting that's weird right it does seem kind of odd i would have but... imagined that there would have been a lot written about crafting in video games especially given how prevalent it is in game design now but I was shocked at how little information there is about the history of crafting. Yeah, and I suspect that a lot of it probably got started in PC gaming, which early, early PC gaming, which probably didn't have a big of a following as it did. You know, mainstream console gaming and everything has now. So not a, it kind of just disappeared with history. Not a lot of YouTube videos on, on that kind of stuff, obviously, and, and not a lot of articles. But the one game that we could find that was an early example was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Neverwinter Nights. It came out in 1991. It was developed by Stormfront Studios and published by Strategic Simulations. It's often cited as one of the first MMORPGs to incorporate a graphical display. Uh, Before this, we had multi-user dungeons, which were text-based RPGs, more like large chat rooms, really. But this game used gold, used the gold box engine, like other advanced D&D games. We talked about this earlier in our season here. I think maybe our very first episode. Like, we um, talked about it a remember, couple of times, we, I feel we like. We talked about Pool of Radiance. Pool of Radiance might have been one of the first games we ever mentioned in our history section. And Now I'm trying to remember what episode that was for. But yeah, we've brought up these advanced D&D games a lot in this in this segment. And, and if I read this right, for um, Neverwinter Nights, you had to have an AOL subscription and also pay That's $6 correct. an hour to play it. That is also oh, correct. That wow. is kind of insane like, if you think about how many hours people to, play, you know. So when I was doing MMOs. when I was doing research on this, I read that number at first and I was like, there's no way. They meant to type six dollars a month and they like 
miswrote it. No, six dollars an hour. I actually confirmed this, and with, and and I've actually also I've run the math on it with inflation. That that's actually about ten dollars an hour by today's money. Yeah, could you imagine? I, I imagine there's probably some really pissed off parents around this time getting a bill like that. <laughs> yeah, but also like things are available to you, right? Content wise. Yeah. It's probably really amazing at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. And something, something. One of the first things that probably was uh, software as a service. We found a few references that this game had crafting of weapons and armor, but for some reason, you know, it's it's an older game. It's not the oldest game that we've we talked about. Uh, we couldn't really confirm that it was actually crafting. The server shut down in '97, and a lot of that info is old forum posts from people just talking about what they remember from playing that game people have actually been able to get a like working running version of the game going you know without having it connect to aol or anything like that and i actually i sat down and i watched like two hours of a dude play this old game just to see if if i could identify any crafting components in the game and the only thing that i saw was there's like a, a dm option in the game where you can manifest weapons and armor in the game and i'm wondering if that I, I don't know if that was part of the original game but i'm wondering if that is the mechanic that people are remembering and calling that crafting yeah it, it maybe didn't resemble what we would normally think of as modern crafting but it's pretty close and one of the earliest examples that we could really track down yeah. so actually that was that was all of our research but we were talking a little bit before we recorded and Eka brought up a game that he remembered might and Magic 3, which also came out in 1991. Do you remember playing this game, Eka? Like, you you were like, oh, I wonder if this one had crafting, and we looked into it, and it absolutely does have crafting, I would say, by sort of today's standards. But is this one that you had a lot of experience with? I did. and I mean, Might and Magic was probably the first kind of computer RPG games that I played. Um, I do remember playing, but I don't remember... So in their game, I guess it was an expansion pack, called it, they call it Combination Artifact which is taking a bunch of inventory items and combining it into uh, another one. Like, like, for example, you can take all your different gold and combine it into create a golden goose. Like you have a purse, you have an endless purse of gold, endless bag of gold, and endless sack of gold. And you combine all those three into inventory and turn <laughs> into a golden goose. Of course. Which, uh, gives you a bigger bonus in gold, I guess. So. <laughs> Gotta spend money to make money. already have enough gold. <laughs> But then, in the game, it lets you uncombine it into back to those resources, which is really interesting, too. And that's how Wall Street works. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, all of my economics classes have told me you just take your golden goose and separate it into its three individual components. <laughs> yeah. And that's the economy. I guess, there, I guess there's no chemical change at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but again, not, not really like the crafting system that we would think of. In 92, a year after those games a game called Legends of Future Past was a MUD. Again, that's a multi-user dungeon developed by John Radoff and Angela Bull. Uh, it was similar to Neverwinter in that you paid an hourly fee, $6 again, and uh, each play session was curated by a GM, who I guess a lot of those people went on to work for other video games, making developing video games after the game closed in 99. Interestingly, some of the people went to go work on Star Wars Galaxies, a game which... We will definitely get I into think later. You will have I some ideas that about that. <laughs> I no, I, I'm going to be upfront. I love that crafting system. So you better believe we're getting into some Star Wars galaxies in this episode. But in Legends of Future Past, players could harvest materials like skins or herbs and 
stuff like that to craft weapons and armor and magic. So there's a little bit of more info about this, but it's still kind of mm-hmm. hard to track down. Uh, but to me, that sounds that looks more like what you would think of for for modern crafting yeah. systems, anyways. Now I want to know, uh, and Eka, I don't know. If, do you have experience with um, muds? Because I have zero experience with them. Um, yeah, I used to. So uh, back in the BBS days, I would do a bunch of ANSI art for people. If you remember what ANSI art was. There's not a lot of information on this. So because of the way this was presented, at least when I was looking up Legends of Future Past, I was curious if someone, if it's run like a D&D game where someone's like, oh, I mine this ore. And then the, the GM says, okay, you've got 10 iron in your possession. And the person goes, okay, I'd like to craft a sword. And then the dungeon master says like, okay, you have a sword. You know, like, is that how it worked? Or were there actual mechanics built into these muds that allowed for things like crafting? Oh, so the muds that I played, like Red Dragon, mm-hmm. I barely remember. I mean, it was all, you know, there wasn't a live person running it, right? Mm-hmm. It was just the game. Um, so there was, I don't remember the crafting aspect of it, but there were certainly mechanics, RPG games. Okay. This one sounds like it has a live person, though, right? Legends of Future Past has, yeah. a, like, a DM. So th- this might be something so closer to D&D, where there's, like, a player manual that people are following. I mean, I could see it, this, right? It's like, imagine playing D&D with people that aren't in front right. of you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so that makes sense to play, pay six bucks an hour, which is ridiculous, but it's a live game, I would imagine, right? Yeah, and, I, and they were saying, too, when I was reading about it, that the uh, the DMs were getting paid out of people's like hourly subscription fees. Mm-hmm. Interesting. If any of our listeners have experience, like specifically with Legends of Future Past or, I guess, any other MUDs, I really want to hear from people. I want to know, like, I want to know what these games were like as, as much as possible because they seem they seem really cool. It's a part of like gaming history that I was not able to be a part of. We didn't we probably didn't get the internet in my house until like ninety six, somewhere around there. But it seems absolutely fascinating. And there's not a lot of information online. Like as much research as I was doing, I just was not able to get a good sense of what these were like. So please, if you have experience with them, please write into us and let us know what it was like. Um so Eka, let, let's take let's turn and look now at, at crafting systems from today, like crafting systems in games today. How how would you define a crafting system in a game? And maybe we can kind of like nail down a solid description that'll that'll help us as we uh, move forward in the conversation. And maybe from a developer's standpoint, like how do crafting systems like what role do they play in the overall like the overall gameplay experience? I want to say Minecraft is probably a, a touchstone. Is that the right word? I don't Cornerstone? Know. Yeah. Uh, a point where crafting... A keystone? S- keystone? <laughs> I, don't know. I feel like I'm just naming stones now. When people think of crafting systems, and maybe that also because that game was just massive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's used as a, as a place to start or a, as sort of way to talk about mechanics mm-hmm. that go into crafting system. But I think, you know, and it's going to vary from game to game and genre to genre, right? Like, Crafting in uh, an Elder Scrolls game is going to be probably very different than crafting in a God of War game. But I think generally, it's a system that touches a lot of other systems. <laughs> and and to, to the degree how it touches those systems probably depends on the type of game. I mean, when I when I first when I think about a, a like a crafting system, like there's there's sort of like two key components that that first jump to my mind, and it's resources, like collecting resources and recipes and those are like sort of the the two things that immediately jump out in my mind when i'm when i'm thinking about what defines a crafting system in a modern context when i think about a recipe in a game to me that feels like a very closed system right like um like in minecraft for example 
You need mm-hmm. to make a sword. You have to have a stick and some stone or iron or whatever it is. But right. but there's really like a limited number of things that you can you can build in there, and and that to me feels like a like a closed system. But Minecraft itself as this like engine for for building essentially anything you want seems like a much more like open ended system that outside of the menu crafting in that game you're also able to construct structures and devices and everything that that's not contained to those menu systems would we consider that crafting in this definition i mean to me it's it's resources it's the the recipes there's also economy i guess minecraft it, it takes those two things and three things and then lets you just keep exponentially building uh systems you know build, keep it lets you keep expanding that mm-hmm. into because you're because you're also building the world too, right? Yes. Aspect of it. Mm-hmm. That aspect of it isn't common in other games. It's not. I don't think that that style of crafting, the sort of like open-ended, open-world version of crafting, is a kind that we see appear very often in games. I, I think when people think about crafting, that's not typically something that jumps into their minds immediately. Is that style of building and design, and thus why I'm wondering if you know if in our conversation as we move forward, if that can even really be considered crafting in this context. I will say from a development perspective, that was certainly like aspects of Minecraft crafting because of how well it resonated. I don't mean the world building part, but just the, you know, the, the recipes and things mm-hmm. that I think that certainly caught attention. A lot of game designers, designers that worked on different types of games because of how popular that game was. That game, when it came out, like what a magical experience, at least for me personally, like the first time mm-hmm. when you're like, oh, I, the, you know, I lay this thing out like this and it makes a sword and then I lay it out the same way, but with different materials and it makes a different kind of sword. Oh my gosh. That was like, it was like such a cool experience when that game first came out. We maybe were talking more about like a, a system like Skyrim, for example, mm-hmm. where you could play through the game and just craft potions and collect mushrooms and things <laughs> as, as sort of the main way of experiencing it. Because that also is a massive game that did really, really well for, and the mod community and, and, and the, the different aspects of that game. But I think crafting was a big part of that too. And some people, I think, pretty much didn't... There's like, you could play mostly combat and go to blacksmiths and things like that. Mm-hmm. You, didn't, you, you could skip the whole like sections of crafting in that game too. Now, Jared, how about you? When, when we're talking about crafting, what, you know, sort of what fits into your definition of crafting? Is there anything you can add to, to what we're talking about that uh, maybe help us narrow in on a, on a good definition? I didn't really consider it from the angle of like the macro building aspect of Minecraft, but I do think that that counts. I don't think most people would. I don't think most people would. Right. It's I like, don't think you're out of line. Because there's say, no, no hard limit, crafting. right? There's not a recipe to make a castle mm-hmm. with a for, you know, with a lookout tower. You're just like, I need a bunch of stone to make a tower. And so you just go and get that. Um, and, right. you know, but that's, that's like the free exploration part, right? Though, right? Or, or, or a, a free expression. Exactly. Part of it. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it counts. It's just maybe not the thing that comes first to your mind. I think now that, crafting is almost a part of every single game that comes out these days. It's more of that closed system that you mentioned where you have Mm -hmm. the resource, the recipe, and then the output for that. So to me, I think by definition, it's mostly that these days if we're talking about most modern games. Now, Eka, when when we're, what was the first game? Do you remember the first game that you played that had crafting? Was it, was it Might and Magic 3? Were you the, were you playing the very first game that had crafting? 
No, because I don't remember that aspect mm. from that game. <laughs> so I was working at Bethesda as my first job out of in games. And at that time, I was working at Morrowind. So I think probably a, a Elder Scrolls game. I don't know if it had... I can't even remember now what aspects <laughs> of crafting it had. Let's see. Daggerfall, crafting. Go, Google machine. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> now I'm getting Dagger as Elder Scrolls Online because there's Daggerfall in that. Oh, oh right. It's a lot of crafting in it. it. <laughs> there we go. That was my problem looking up Neverwinter Nights from 1991 is that there was also one that came out in like 2000, 2001, 2003, somewhere in there that uh, all my search results took me to. One of my first experiences um, with crafting, though, was an also an well, it was an MMO. It was EverQuest Online Adventures for the PlayStation Two, which I almost never hear anybody talk about. No one, no one. There's a game no one knows, Jared. I know. Well, I you know I think we both got into like the that alpha or the early access version of that somehow. Uh, played what a lot a of weird, it. What a weird time to be alive in gaming. I, yeah, well, I, we, that was like when that was when the PlayStation Two first had its network adapter. I think it was the first time I'd ever been a part of a beta test of a game. And I never really played PC games. So this was like my first MMO. And I remember, um, yeah, going out by like one of the dams by the the main starting city and just killing a bunch of spiders and rats and making pelts and creating really, really bad looking low poly armor. But yeah, I remember grinding that out specifically. It's funny that you mentioned that because I was in that beta with you as well. And I don't remember the crafting system from it at all. When, when I think about crafting, the first game that comes to my mind that I remember, I really remembered in, is something like probably Final Fantasy XI, which came out just shortly before World of Warcraft. That was a huge aspect of that game. It was, yeah, because that was a game that was all about the balance. Like, the the fighting system in that game, you had to be at, like, the very, you had to be at peak performance all the time in that game in order to make any kind of progress. So, it was about, like, party combination, you had to have the right uh, setup of party members and each party member had to have the correct gear equipped and you also had to be like squeaking out every advantage you could in order to level up and that meant engaging pretty heavily with the either with the economy in the game or more often than not the the crafting system in the game which was how you got the foods and stuff that that helped you deal more damage or be more accurate and stuff like that and that was the first time where i really i remember a crafting system sticking out as being important and that, that as game i look, was insane as I back, though because i remember there being aspects where to craft some of the more rare items you had to wait for like a full waning moon while facing west oh, yeah. on the third day <laughs> of the dragon festival like it was yeah, so it was, obscure it, it was it was out there and that information was not presented in game and there was because it was so obscure there were so many theories running around online also of like you know what the the perfect time to craft uh, jerky is you know like everyone has their different ideas of like well it's a fire crystal so if you do it on a fire day then you get this kind of result you know but what so when I think about crafting though I think back to some other games too in the past like I think about Resident Evil as a game Resident Evil always had where you could combine herbs to make more powerful healing items. But there's something about that that never really clicked with me as being a uh, crafting system. Same thing with um, like point-and-click adventures. There were a lot of point-and-click adventures that asked you to combine items to solve a puzzle, and that never felt like crafting. Yeah, even like though all the old scum games, that was like a our... central theme, right? Mm-hmm. Combine the rubber band with the turtle that you found earlier to 
get inside this locked dungeon for some reason. Exactly. Of course. I mean, how else but, do you get inside a locked dungeon, Jared? Tell me a, right. tell me a better way. If you can tell me a better way, I won't be attaching rubber bands to turtles anymore. Did we ever get a MacGyver game? That's a very game? linear... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, you think of that aspect, that's a very linear thing, right? It's not like... When I think of a crafting system, I think of like, here's some building blocks. Combine them in a way that you could use it, and the output you could use it mm-hmm. in a different way, too, right? Like, there's a little bit of more sort of player expression freedom in that even though i guess you know when you deal with recipes it's a very specific thing but um you can do that multiple times they're consumable mm-hmm. possibly right or they're permanent um upgrades to a weapon or things like that but there's there's more of a player freedom to what you craft and what you decide to buff something with it, yeah i guess maybe it taps into this desire for creativity, perhaps like it, it gives you that sensation that like, look, I've taken these disparate items and I've made something cool out of them. Even if that, that something cool is, you know, was, was predetermined. I think it does kind of tap in, into that aspect of like player psyche. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And you know, it's because even an MMO or, or an RPG game, you, you know, players will decide to go to a certain, you know, style of fighting or 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 style of combat or or Mm non-combat and crafting systems will allow you to customize that experience for that particular player or for yourself now now eka are there games that stand out in your mind as as having like really good meaningful crafting systems and 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 if so like what are they like why was it important to that experience for that game uh breath of the wild probably is my favorite (laughs) of, of recent times so jared you played breath of the wild right I didn't engage with the crafting system that much, and I uh, didn't really play that much of it to really talk. So oh, okay. it wasn't like a huge, yeah. I don't, I don't know everything there is to know about that because I didn't get too far into it. But I, I do know that people really liked that, and it was a, a kind of a central mechanic. So Echo, what, yeah, what said, was it yeah, about? Yeah. What was it about that crafting system that really clicked for that world for you? You know, it's an open, open world game, sandbox game. So it's like you run around, and there's other resources to collect, and different enemies that you fight and you get get stuff out of that and there's uh, essentially you create food uh, for yourself for the for the player um, and that the food gives you temporary buffs and that could be like extra heart containers or um, stamina things like that um, but there's also aspects of the clothing that are permanent buffs uh, that were interesting that you could uh, modify but the act of the act of going to um, a, a cooking spot, throwing ingredients in it plays a little jingle and then then link holds up the result that like loop was so like compelling <laughs> um and then you could create something that wasn't was considered i forget what the term was but essentially it could be a dud of a recipe so there was like free play there too you could just combine different like lizard guts or um a bananas and you see the result of it and sometimes it was just a bad result. So it'd be like this pixelated, like, uh, you know, if you see like nudity, uh, censored nudity, this is too it was just to that show kind you. of a graphic. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we, this is so bad. We can't show it to you. That's funny. There's, there's, there's a lot of charm to the system that I liked a lot. And um, in that game, they didn't give you recipes, right? You just kind of have to figure it out. Just experiment. You figure it out. Right. And there's hints of recipes on like, like different people will tell you things, but the recipes weren't saved in a way that you could pull up you just have to like look online <laughs> or 
find the NPC that will give you the right recipe or uh, look on a, a poster on a wall somewhere. So that there's like a there, there's gameplay aspects of that too. That's neat because because um, I think yeah one of the things that I think Breath of the Wild accomplished was that it was this like in in kind of like a fundamental way a return to what Zelda was at the very beginning right like from a from a gameplay standpoint it couldn't be further from the original Zeldas but in like an experience from an experiential standpoint it kind of was in that it, it became this game where you you know, it, it took people back to writing notes in the manuals and stuff. It, and and the crafting system, you know, the, the system of cooking foods to me seems like uh, by them not giving you recipes, it was it was forcing you to engage with that creative side, that exploratory side, that, that side that's, you know, of game design that allows you to fail. Uh, you know, it doesn't hold your hand and say you need exactly this many rabbits legs and this much uh, you know of this herb and you need to cook it for this long to make this item but it, it lets you kind of figure that stuff out on your own seems like a really great extension of the uh, like the fundamentals of what that game was was trying to achieve yeah and it also touched on a touched on the other aspects of the game which is like this chemical reaction to things with the weapons mm-hmm. you know there's like electric types and you know different types of, like fire and things like that that are very specific type of enemies and type of weapons that would fight against those enemies. And when you craft uh, food in that game, also kept that in mind. So there's elegant systems that talk to each other really, really well that allow the player to, to try things out and explore, which I think was, was also interesting. And I think that sort of, ba- yeah. I think that speaks to what you said earlier of how crafting should be in service to the other game mechanics, right? I think this is a really mm-hmm. good example mm-hmm. of how that can be done well. Um, where some games maybe crafting is a little bit more superfluous to the overall experience. Right. I think there's been people like, oh, crafting systems are popular. We should add a crafting system without really thinking about how is this unique in this particular game? Mm. How does it manifest itself? How is it interesting to the player? And how does it fit into the rest of the sort of the lore or the world or the story or the gameplay elements? Steve, I know that um, you would say Star Wars Galaxies was also another good example, right? Of how the crafting sort of fell into the rest of the game. I, I didn't really get involved with that game as much as you did. How did it work in that? Um, it was just, it was the, the perfect crafting system. I'll just say it was the perfect crafting system. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you remember this, Jared, but back when we did our episode about uh, video games adapted from other IPs. Uh, I had mentioned that there was something about Star Wars that that made it like you you could make so many different games based on it because I think the the property of Star Wars um, invited that kind of design. Like you could make a racing game, or you could make an RPG, or you could make a first person shooter because there was so, the the galaxy in that game was so large that it almost invited all different kinds of games to be made about it. But Star Wars Galaxies continued that in the crafting system. I guess maybe I'll just describe how it worked in, in Star Wars Galaxies. So in Star Wars Galaxies, you had a recipe. It would be something like uh, you'd have a recipe for a trench coat, and it would say uh, you need one leather, and you need two metals, and you need uh, you know one ore or whatever it is. And it could be any leather and any metal and any ore, whatever you know, like these, these disparate items. But because you live, you exist in th- this galaxy where you can go to different systems and different planets and stuff. Everything had its own properties associated with it. You know, leather that you get from a, a 
a nerf is different than the leather you get from a rancor. And those affect the final product that you make. And to me, I thought that was so cool because that's, to me, that's how crafting should be, right? Like if you have a template for something like a trench coat in real life, you can essentially make it out of whatever you want. I, I feel like I'm rambling. I just, I love Star Wars Galaxies. No, that's and that neat. system was, was really, really much yeah. in service of the economy, would you say? Because I, I feel like like running businesses and turning a profit was a big part of that. It was, yeah. Like people could could own their own stores and stuff. And to me, I didn't engage in the game in that way, so I can't speak exactly how how all of that stuff lined up, like with the economy in the game. To me, what made it so great, and and the thing that I loved about Star Wars, both as like in IP and Star Wars Galaxies, the video game, was that it encourages exploration. That there's this giant universe out there full of all of these different things to go do and see and experience. So it, it made so much sense for the crafting system in that game to say like, oh, if you, know, if you explore further, if you go to more dangerous areas and you mine a rare resource, that that will then benefit the item that you, that you craft out of it. Or if you go, if you go and encounter, a, you know, a rare monster on a distant planet, and you get the leather from it, that has an effect on the item that you craft. And it just, it just seemed like this perfect, like, synthesis of what makes the Star Wars universe like so special to me. That's really neat. I, I keep hoping. So, Star Wars Galaxies is also unfortunately no longer playable. They shut down all those servers, uh, which was heartbreaking as well. I just want someone to steal that idea. Just someone, mm-hmm. just someone, steal that crafting system, please, and put it in your game. Are you saying someone should um, make this? Someone, should, well, yeah. <laughs> plug, did, plug did for another podcast. The, <laughs> did you play the other Star Wars M- MMO that the more recent one? I did not. Um, no, I um, and as much as I loved the other the Knights of the Old Republic games, I never got into the, mm-hmm. the into the other MMO. So I, I don't know if that one had any uh, any crafting systems that 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 touched on that, Jared. I'm I'm riding an emotional high here after talking about Star Wars Galaxies. What what, <laughs> uh, what what game stands out in your mind as being a good example of a crafting system? I really don't like crafting in games. I often find whoa 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 really. I just find that it's I think of like the WoW system, right? And then you just sat there, you had to grind for resources, and then you just click a button and you make the thing. And then I guess you could sell them on the auction house, but that was barely ever worth it. Um, a lot of the times oh, we'll you talk, could... we'll talk about that. Hold on. I want to put a pin in that. Cause I want to, I want to loop back around to that here. In a sure. Second, but go ahead. And I, I also feel like it's one of the other things that a lot of games do is like, you can craft your own armor, which is almost never better than like the armor that you would just find in dungeons and stuff. So I didn't really, I don't really like that way either. Um, but I have been playing an early access game called satisfactory. And I think I've probably brought this game up at least once in the last couple of episodes. I know you won't stop talking about it. <laughs> the only, because that's like the only thing you're doing in that game is acquiring resources and turning them into other things to make other things. Um, so if you don't know, the way the game works is you you drop from space in a pod and your goal is to basically set up an infrastructure to build a factory to make resources and, and get things. I, I, there's not a story yet, but I think the idea is for, to eventually colonize a new planet. Um but it like just like the name is, it's very satisfying to do. Wait, 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 wait. Are is this game 
the bad guys for Falcon Age? Are you, is this establishing the bad be. guys for Falcon Age? <laughs> it could be. Let, let me tell you something. Every game, every other Western game is the bad guy <laughs> okay. for Falcon Age. All right. Every game deals with coloniz- colonizing a new world. That's just the way. Yeah, I mean, in this game, you just kind of barge into this planet and start murdering things when they get in your way and cutting down trees and, and mining natural resources. So, yeah, it's probably an antithesis to the ideas of Falcon Age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's one of the reasons I decide to focus on that too because every sort of western game is the idea like you know like uh stranger in a strange land is also it's always like oh i come into this space i crash land in this space i discover this, this is space. mine now this is mine, That's now. mine now. <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll loop back around to that too i want to put a pin there as well um but yeah there, i don't think i've had as much fun with systems as i had with uh, as i have been having with satisfactory and the entire point of that game is to kind of make you as a player obsolete because you just want to automate everything. It gives you like very short-term goals. And each, I think the, the main thing that I like about the way that this crafting system works is that each time you craft something new and get to a certain milestone, you unlock another mechanic in the game, whether it's cutting down trees to make more space for your factory or unlocking a jetpack or making giant dump trucks that will automate carrying resources back and forth between your forges for you. Uh, It's really neat. And I think that that is what I like the most about it is that it's a game that unlocks new mechanics the more you craft. And that's really interesting to me. Um, God of War, the newest one for PlayStation 4, also did that. You, You collected things around the world and upgraded your weapons uh, and that unlocked new fighting styles and new abilities and that's really cool so i think i gravitate towards the crafting and service of unlocking and building on new systems other than just creating resources more resources from smaller resources right did you play don't starve I did for a bit. Yeah, I, I did play that. That was that was a similar thing where you could um, you always unlocked something new to do the further you progress into that crafting right. system. Mm-hmm. And I, I do I enjoy that. that. I love Don't Starve, and I think that's a really cool evolution yeah, the, of of crafting as a mechanic. Right, right, and that's you know Minecraft inspired, right? But taken to a mm-hmm. uh, a a, a di- different sort of route. I mean, same way God of War is too. Like it's like the the idea of of progression unlocks also tied to crafting now i want to i want to jump in so i'm going to loop back around to one of the the pins i dropped there earlier jared and that you you were talking about the economies of world of warcraft and the ability to like sell items online and now this is i think one of the biggest problems with the idea of crafting in an online environment The, the problem with a game with with crafting online and and this is true of almost every single uh mmo i've played it granted that list is very short, so maybe there are some that that overcome this in certain ways, is that oftentimes the materials to make stuff in a game end up being more expensive than the finished product because what is being sold is not the the individual items. What's being sold is the capacity to level up a crafting stat. So what I mean by that is like in the real world, if you want to make a a t-shirt or like let's let's say trench coat again. I've been using that example for some reason. <laughs> if you want to make it, if you want to make a trench coat, the individual pieces are cheaper than what the finished product is because what you've done is you've taken cloth and buttons and zippers, and you've used your experience and your skill and your time to to make it into something that is now more useful than its individual components. But in an online game, like in something like World of Warcraft, where the 
making an item is as simple as just like combining things in your in your inventory and maybe it takes a couple seconds for your character to make it whatever it is there's not really any sort of like time investment or skill investment that goes into it so the finished product ends up being cheaper than the materials that went into making it you've now shrunk the economy a little bit by making a new item in, in a game like that and crafting in in online games is a huge part of why a lot of online economies feel so wonky am i does that make sense to you guys that sounds like a balance problem i guess it's a i guess it you know is a balance problem but to me there's something more mm -hmm. fundamental like it's not like you can move some dials around because if you're allowing the players to set the um the parameters for the economy allowing players to set the price of materials and set the price of what the the item sells for in something like an auction house then oh yeah 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 then then the finished product will always be cheaper than the materials that go into it because the the person buying the materials got the benefit of leveling up whatever stat it was they're trying to level up in the um you know in in the process of making a new item but the the product that comes out the other end has now like has now lost value and because it's now cheaper than the individual material so it, it like it it actively is like the 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 idea of crafting in something like an MMO like World of Warcraft is actively trying to destroy the economy of that game by its very nature like at all times and i wasn't joking when i said that i was the uh the silk thread silk cloth baron of my server on world of warcraft i um at the time i was playing that they had the auction house app that you could just have on your phone mm -hmm. and what i would do several times a day was just go on the auction i didn't even have to go into the game but i would just go into the auction house buy all the silk cloth out so there's none left which was a component that people needed to uh, level up in like, you know, cloth making or whatever they called it, tailoring. Mm -hmm. And I would buy it all out and then I would sell all of mine for a few cents lower or a few silvers lower than the next person up. So I would just undercut the market. People, the only other choice was to go out and grind for it. Uh, and I made a ton of money that way. And I'm still not sure to what end. Like, I'm not really sure why I leveled up the tailoring crafting thing because once you finished it that that gear was never going to be as good as the stuff that you got in dungeons or raids the the other thing that happens in games like world of warcraft where um where crafting is very simple you know put in these items and it gives you a certain output is that everyone's output is exactly the same so when you're selling your items there's literally nothing to distinguish you from the other people who have made the exact same item as you except for your mm -hmm. price so the only way to sell your item is to is to try to undercut the people before you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a that's a complex economy problem, right? Like, as a player, what's more useful to you? I guess is is probably part of the the problem and solution. If it's, I don't have a lot of time to play the game, so it might be I'm the type of player that goes and buys things instead of spending the time mm -hmm. to craft it. And for you, it's like, oh well, I spend time crafting it, so I get a benefit. So that's great. You know, I've never worked on a game at that scale, so I, I'd imagine that's a like I would be curious what the what the user experience is like. Oh, and and you know, yeah. It, this is this is like a like a huge huge maybe I don't want to say problem, but it, it's a it's a huge consideration because sure. because now we're talking about like a video game world that has 
you know, thousands or millions of people. Like you're talking about like having to actually have like economic scholars get in, into this stuff in order to figure out how to balance this. And there, and oh, yeah, there have, yeah, been, yeah, there have been like, there've been tons and tons of articles written about this, but this crafting system, this idea of like the raw materials being more expensive than the finished products is like a, is a flaw in the system mm -hmm. is, is a flaw mm -hmm. in an economic model. Um, and thus is like just constantly <laughs> trying to rip it apart. So they do, you know, these, you know, if we're talking about wow, specifically blizzard, they put stuff in place to make sure that, that the economy functions to a degree, but it always, to me, feels a little bit off. Like there is something that feels kind of weird about the way the economies run in those games. And, and I think it's a direct result of that, that crafting system being a part of the, the economy. Eka, has crafting systems, have they opened the door for new people to, to step into gaming? Like, I, I feel like uh, whatever it was, like 10, 15 years ago, there was no such thing as, as really like building. Most games were, were built around the idea of like violence and domination. I think to a large degree, a lot of games still are, but I will say like, it seems like since crafting, since a game like Minecraft came along, that it seems to have opened the door for a lot of people who typically, you know, traditionally were not gamers to step into the gamer space. Do you think there's any uh, any validity to that or any reason why that might be? Sure. I think for a long time, clicking a button on a mouse, a keyboard or a controller, like the, and then having violence come out of that was probably the most satisfying, right? Like, mm -hmm. How do you, like mechanically, it's violence is a crutch, but it's also an interesting mechanic. I, I hit a button, something hit, there's a reaction, and it's usually a, a visceral reaction. So I think for sure, like the idea of instead of destroy things, create things in a game space and still still make interesting mechanics out of it. Like that's so why I bring back Breath of the Wild because it's a game that's for the most of the part you're running around with a sword and, and slashing at things, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a big aspect to it, but the ability to go slash at things that you collect and then use those to build things that helps you. Uh, that's interesting. The same in same way I think Skyrim also took off really really well because there's an interesting crafting system in there too. And having different um, sort of player play styles for those kind of games that offer a different path for people that don't necessarily want to be the uh, smash a thing over an enemy type players. Mm -hmm. Skyrim is actually an example of why the, the crafting system in that game made me stop playing the game. I, I ended up just <laughs> min-maxing, you know, I think what it was that you can make a bunch of daggers or something to really quickly level yeah. up. And yeah. uh, I made like the the coolest dragon stone armor that you could get at the time when the first the game first yeah. came out. And then nothing I ever right. found in any of the dungeons was better than that. So like to me, getting new armor and weapons was an, an important gameplay loop, which was undermined because I min maxed the crafting system and made the best armor like really early in the game. Right, and for you that might have been the most like the thing that it was super interesting but for other people it might be might have been sure aspect to it too because i mean i ended up finishing the game and i did min max loot a lot right like i would find certain daggers or certain weapons and go sell and make a ton of money but i also find the the experience of like playing through the game was interesting too without the loot aspect of it so i don't, I don't know it probably says something more about me than it does the game that <laughs> I, I break <laughs> um, it for myself but, it's certain but you know and in a game like that that offers you so many different play styles and that, that will just, like, in this case, the system's worked against in a bad way for sure. you, right? You're like, oh, what's what's the point of exploring? Because my, my like, you you like exploring a dungeon and finding new loot when I, I don't need to do that because I can just make stuff or I can sell stuff. Yeah, Skyrim, Skyrim presents, I think, a lot of 
interesting points of discussion. I think one of the, the best things to say about the crafting system in Skyrim, though, is that it definitely played into the, the role-playing aspect of that game. That there was, I think, in that game, you, you were able as the player to sort of define what your character was in a lot of different ways, and, and crafting was, was one of them. And, well, I don't think it was a, you know, like a perfect example of crafting um, by any means. I had my own issues with the crafting system in that game. Uh, I think it, it, it certainly fit like what they were trying to do, like what the promise of that, of that game was. But I'm, I'm curious, Eka, because both of these games that you mentioned, you said Breath of the Wild and Skyrim, as examples uh-huh. where they have building these are both games where the the crafting system is in is almost in service to the the violent actions of the game right like right. like um in in both of those games you know hitting hitting an enemy with a sword is the action and the crafting is the thing that lets you that helps you do that better do it better yeah where i think something like minecraft like yeah there are enemies but to me, like some, something like Minecraft seems like it, it's the point of that game is the building and the exploration and th- right. the fighting of the monsters is what helps you bet, you know, better craft, be a better builder, you know, get to the more elusive resources. Um, and, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Like, do crafting systems work better when they're in service of this like male power fantasy this like desire to kill and destroy or are there examples of games where the crafting system you know where the crafting system is the the centerpiece and and the game benefits because everything else serves that i spent a lot of time playing oxygen not included i don't know if you guys played that i've heard great things i haven't dived into that yet though yeah i've seen i've seen a little bit of it i have i myself have not played it either i think generally what clay with don't starve is Touching on some of the things you're... I mean, there's enemies, mm-hmm. but enemies end up becoming resources to build other things, too. It's not to help you bash things, but uh, Oxygen Not Included is... You start with a couple of characters inside an asteroid, essentially, and there's resources, like randomly generated resources. So you start sort of mining, and then it opens up... Once you get enough resources, it opens up sort of different pathways you can go, depending on the resources uh, there, to grow your base. And sort of the, the creative aspect of that is how you want to build your base. And that's a factor of what the space looks like and also your sort of a, your general direction of what kind of space you want to have. And, and then as you, as you start teleporting more crew people into your base, they have needs, right? It's a, re, it's a big resource management game, but the crafting aspect of it is, is very much about balancing those resources as you grow your base. Um, it's probably what Satisfactory kind of touches on too, I'd imagine. Sounds very similar. And I, I'm thinking about a game, something like Stardew Valley, like a game that doesn't have mm-hmm. like any any sort of violent conflict. And it, and it sounds like this oh, it does. does. Oh, it does. Like half the oh, game is, there... is, is going through a dungeon. Yeah, yeah. It starts without it, but to really level up, you have to go to this dungeon. There's a dungeon. I see. This is why I shouldn't be doing a podcast. Who, who put this microphone? <laughs> who put this microphone in front of me? I would say it's probably not the most engaging part of the game. Like you, you are just kind of. No. It's no. very swing a sword and time it so you don't die thing, but it's it's mm. a big part of the upgrade path, mm, right? Gotcha. But I, I, yeah, and that's a, that's one of my favorite games too. Like I I bought it several times. I think I'll probably buy it on every version that comes out because <laughs> I played on Switch recently, but I played it on PC when it came out. Um, the, the interesting that's an interesting case too, where it's the violence isn't really the the, the focus because mm-hmm. that doesn't come into play. I I didn't even know it had a dungeon the first time I played it because it's it's off on a certain part of the map um 
and you're encouraged to go there later in game, but early in game, it's like you inherit this uh, farm, essentially, or I guess it's a farm, yeah. right? And so you're, you know, first first job's cleaning it up, and you're in a new town, and then you, uh, it's and, and, and sort of the, there's seasons, right? So the different things you can grow and things you can sell um, correspond to sort of the days of the, of the game world and the seasons. And there's different festivals so you can take part in, different activities, different characters that need different things. Um, and the violent part of it is a very small part of it, right? Like, there's certain resources you can only get in in the in the dungeon or in the in the mines. So that's a, that's an interesting case where there's a really nice balance between all the resources and uh, crafting aspects of it, and it's not too uh, a violent end. If we're talking about that, I'm I'm curious because, and I don't want to suggest that crafting systems are like the main reason for this, but it feels like over the last ten years. There have been a lot, like the um, the people who self-identify as a as gamers has expanded, um, and I'm curious if things like Minecraft and things like Stardew Valley, you know, the, these games that are less about the um, you know the the performing violent actions and more about uh, creativity and building, has been a part of what has helped expand the appeal of video games to people. And again, I'm sure there's all kinds of like all kinds of reasons for why that has happened. But I'm curious, like from, you know, like if we're looking at a mechanic in a game, like a single mechanic in a game that has made games more approachable to people, is this it? Like is crafting the thing? I don't think it's the thing. I, th I think proliferation of like different hardware and smartphones and the ability to have different types of games mm -hmm. and expand what the idea what a game is has helped like a game like Florence. I don't know if you guys played that. Yeah, I have. Florence. Which is one of my favorite games mm -hmm. of last year. And it's a 30 minute, 40 minute game about a relationship, right? Like, yeah. But the how they went about doing it and the storytelling without any dialogue. Is that a crafting super, game? Super compelling. No crafting. I mean, it's, it's well, kind of crafting, crafting right? You're like piecing you're together a relationship <laughs> from clues. I don't know. This is, now, this is, now, Jared, you're getting into my kind of territory. The like, is he on drugs kind of territory? That's where I know <laughs> Well, it's about crafting a relationship. That's something Steve would say on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, there's aspects of that game you have no control over, right? Regardless of how well you crafted it. Sure. Right. So, it's, I don't know. Yeah. To, to, Steve, I, to answer your question, um, I think... Can you answer it? Are you, are you capable? <laughs> Do you have the, the tool set to answer my giant question that probably I, I, I has don't... no answer? <laughs> if you look at it from the perspective that crafting can be used to teach new mechanics or new aspects of gameplay, then yes, I think that the way that God of War has done it has made it more accessible to more people to slowly learn new styles of gameplay or work outside of maybe your, your normal gameplay style through the crafting system. And I think that's a really smart way to kind of expand and make your game more complex and gameplay more complex and switch up things so they don't get too stale so in that way yeah i would say that that has helped push more people towards that towards gaming i guess yeah i was just curious i was just curious because like i said I, I think you know for so long we've video games have been very good about you know letting us dominate other other thing letting us kill and and murder and, and all kinds of horrible things and i was curious if the if something like you know a, a, 
a peaceful approach, a creative approach, um, had, had helped open that, that door up some, and again, I, I'm sure it's like a whole multitude of things. I was just curious if something like, you know, because Minecraft exists, Florence is able to exist. And, and, and again, it's like not a straight line between those two things, but it was just kind of, it was one of those things that was on my mind. I figured I'd get it. I'd ask the question and see what we all thought about it. Mm -hmm. Um, while we have you, Eka, I want to talk a little bit about Falcon Age, a game that, that does have crafting. We talked about it a little bit earlier at the beginning of this episode, but I, I want to dive in like right. to what your, your thought process was when you were designing the system for Falcon Age. So I guess well, first, just, yeah. just, I guess, briefly, can you explain like how the crafting works in the game? Sure. I mean, before we get into that, like why we decided to do it, I mean, it's like the original idea was that you're raising a Falcon and there's mechanics with that Falcon, like you have a laser pointer essentially on your on your glove that lets you point to the world and the falcon goes out and interacts with it in this case if it's a thing if it's an animal it'll you know try to hunt it if it's a, a fruit or vegetable it'll collect it if it's an enemy it'll attack it right it's very con uh, contextual mm -hmm. that way um for me as a designer like i knew i wanted to have food as a mechanic because it seemed to fit you have a bird it needs to eat but then mechanically that's also interesting to try to give the bird different abilities with the food as a consumable. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the thing came out of it. And, you know, like, like I said, I like the Breath of the Wild cooking system. So in our world, we have a, looks like a rice cooker. Um, yeah, like you go like up a, to like it. Like a deep fryer or something. Yeah. Like a deep fryer. Yeah. You go up to it and it opens up a, a your recipes menu and um, inventory. And you can just throw different veggies and fruits and or animal uh, meat and it combines into a, a treat for the fal for the falcon and it's not for the player there's like all these asian themed foods like uh, samosas and cutlets and egg roll kind of things that it give the, the bird different abilities it's a it's a very it's not star wars galaxies level of crafting right it's like mm -hmm. a very limited um, wait if i start feeding system. my dog samosas will he get new abilities uh oh if you have the right recipe for it yeah. okay okay <laughs> And then, like, the game isn't a massive game, right? It's, like, you know, four to six hour game. So we have a, a small area, the valley that you're that it takes place in. And then in this valley, there's different goats and lizards and rabbits um, um, and something, some more uh, enemies like sand wolves that'll attack you. And those are things that are resources that you go hunt. And some of them are side quests and things like that. Some of them are main quests. And there's also different types of fruits and veggies. Part of reclaiming the land in the beginning of the game there's a farm that gets set up like you reclaim a, a, a refinery after you sort of taken it over or reclaimed it back and then we set up a farm and that's sort of like part of the thematically what we wanted to do was that rebuilding and getting in touch with your culture is also farming and um finding these different sort of uh, foods that have, don't grow anymore so like for the crafting hunting making snacks and the idea of regrowth was thematically interesting um we, we thought would, would work well in the game and that's beautiful because that that totally tracks like I, I totally follow where you're coming from with that as like a a perfect counter to the the colonialism that that's occurring in the game the crafting system being an extension of that to like to um as like a return it seems it seems really neat and a theme that definitely i think comes across and that was the idea and in practice we could have done a better job with it, right? The feedback has been like, oh, you know, it doesn't seem like I really need to craft certain things because these enemies I can just run past or whatever. And that's what we're addressing now is trying to make yeah. sure that sort of uh, loop 
works better. That seems um, that's where that's yeah. where balance always seems so difficult to me in game design because yeah. like obviously you have you know from listening to you talk about it you have this really great idea for the way this system works not only like with the other systems in the game but also within the narrative of the game but again it's a video game like how do you how do you strike that balance with players to make a you know the system be necessary enough that they have to engage with it and thus understand those links to those narrative ideas that you've built into the system as well it's right it's, it yeah. just all seems so hard for me which is why i sit behind a microphone and talk about games well, instead sometimes of making... it is it is <laughs> it is a whack-a-mole kind of thing too right like um we the other other the other trend that as a game developer you fall into it's like oh this doesn't seem hard enough because you end up re- you know play testing your game on a daily basis mm. so i'm always trying to like make sure i don't make it too hard just because we can get through it doesn't mean players can yeah but then i think Fal- yeah. falcon age is the new demon souls <laughs> but I, I think we swung it a little too far the other way, which we're like we're too overcautious about it being too difficult, and then we made it so that systems don't quite work as well as we'd hoped. So, how, um, so how does the crafting how does the crafting interplay with the imprint mode in the game? And for people who don't know, imprint mode is the um, is the mode of the game where conflict or violence is optional. So, right. I'm, I'm, so I'm curious how that aspect of the you know the inter- interplay between the crafting and the narrative works in the imprint mode of the game so the imprint mode it does bypass some of the systems right mm-hmm. like the enemies essentially uh, for the enemies in the world um you and the bird are invisible so you just walk through your spaces so it's a much shorter game but a lot of that came out of just feedback of players wanting to spend time with the bird and um go hunt and go collect things and find the hidden treasure kind of things in the world. So it does change the gameplay aspects of it. Were there considerations that you gave to, to doing a crafting system in VR? Like, like how does the, how does the act of crafting change once you're in that headspace? You know, once you have the headset on and you're, and you're really there, like what, what, um, you know, unique approaches did you have to take to make that compelling? Right, so for that, we the, the look of the crafting system, and so you're, you're essentially in first person, you're standing in front of the cooker in front of you, and above the cooker would bring up a menu of available um, resources mm-hmm. that's in your inventory. So in VR, you can grab those resources and just dump it into the cooker. That seems um, very satisfying. And then to map that, yeah, it, it's very satisfying. And then the cooker closes, and it uh, bounces around, and it opens up with a, a like a little... Uh, sound effect and then their steam comes out and the, there's a result and your bird reacts to it too because she's excited as soon as you start going to the cooker uh she knows to come over <laughs> <I like it. laughs> and there's there's a perch next to the cooker too oh. so for the bird um so in non-vr um we try to kind of get the same visceral reaction which is the same menu opens up but then you use your use your controller or click on the on the on the slots and then the same sort of loop of the of the cooker cooking and shaking and re- opening and bird reacting still there. Now, you had mentioned that there were some things that you kind of wish you had done a little differently. Are you able to speak like on specifics? Like like what would you, you know, if you're if you are taking the time to go back and rework some of these systems, mm-hmm. what what are the things that you're going to yeah. go back and, and touch on? Is it just those things that we had already discussed or about, you know, retweaking enemy behaviors and stuff? Or is there are there things specific to the crafting that's going to change? Um it's mostly around so there's the aspects of crafting that touches is exploration, enemy design, enemy uh, balance, and then the 
sort of consumables, which are the the animals and uh, veggies and fruit. And those are they're they're in a time cycle, so they respawn on a timetable. Or if you leave the area and come back and things like that. And then so those are the consumable parts. And then there's permanent items in the game that you get from you buy through a store or you trade or you get through quests that when the bird wears it like let's say um, a top hat there's a permanent abilities for that bird while she's while she's wearing it so it's, it's like getting all those systems to work together is what we're working on now um, and that is adding buffs to some of the cosmetic items that didn't have anything balancing some of those for things that didn't have it, uh, making it more clear to the player, because some of the stuff was obtuse to the player, and then rebalancing and or in some cases we're adding new sort of attack abilities to the some of the enemy types. Just hearing you, just hearing you talk about this crafting system, like when I think about crafting systems in games, like it feels like a very cordoned off, like this is its own mechanic, right? And yeah, and in talking with you and thinking about this topic, you start to realize like, wow, it really, really is tied to so many other systems in the games in ways that you might not even really consider unless you really spend the time conceptualizing what crafting means in these worlds. So it's cool to hear you talk about that and that, that these are all the considerations that you're having to make for how the system works with literally every other system in your game, including the narrative system of your game. Right. I, I think I think you know those are the things that are the things that I like about crafting systems because it, it is a common. It feels like a standalone thing. Oh, let's just add crafting. Mm-hmm. But like, I think the more successful things, like Jared mentioned, um, uh, God of War, they're tied into the characters and uh, lore and story better um, than systems that feel like they just don't work yeah. as well. Right. I think really early on, crafting systems were a way to give players a a small reward for doing something you know like uh, you complete this small task here's a small reward but the reward still has to feel meaningful in some way so crafting systems became this really good way to be like i'm going to give you this small thing and guess what if you collect 10 of that thing you can trade it in for this cooler thing and for a long time i think that 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 worked Right, like, ooh, I can just get these little things, and eventually I get to, you know, put them together into something bigger. But as the, as we've lived with that system for so long now, whatever it's been, 10, 15 years, that crafting systems have been so prevalent in game design. I think now these games that are are making more like concerted efforts to have it be more meaningful to the other systems of their game or to the narrative of their game, we're starting to see right. these, you know, crafting systems be more interesting within these games versus some of the games still sort of cling to that old style of like, well, we had to give you something for your trouble, so we gave you this thing, you know, and there's not as much thought right, put right, into right. it. But and, and I think we'll see that sort of the, the systems evolve too, right? As different designers, different uh, developers take a system they like and say, how does this fit into our world? And yeah. how, do, how do we make it make it interesting? How do we make it unique, right? That's that's what I love about game development. I mean, this, this, this evolution of systems. Like, I know we never really quite answered the uh the origins of crafting but sounds like 1991 maybe maybe or older who knows yeah. but like there's a huge history right uh, of games from then till now and someone will look at god of war and say look i think for in our game this will do make this tweak and we'll make this better um for example i'm playing rebel galaxy outlaw right now which is not out but uh i don't know if you guys ever played rebel galaxy uh, there's a couple of games that came at the same time is that the like cowboy trucker one 
it's the cowboy trucker. Yeah, so you're essentially uh, like a space cowboy. Yeah, but it's more like Privateer. I don't know if you remember that game. I know. I don't think mm-hmm. I remember. Um, that one. It, it's. I mean, it's like X-wing like combat. Gotcha. Uh, on the new one. All right, I'm with you. So the for, uh, first Rebel Galaxy had a naval ship combat in space, so you could only move in two axes. It wasn't free. Like you couldn't just. It's not space. Mm-hmm. It's not when you think it's X-wing. Imagine not being able to go up and down, right? Yeah. Like you're just going in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a flat plane. Uh, essentially, flat plane, exactly. So Robo Galaxy Outlaw takes that and, and you know makes it more X-wing like. But one of the interesting things is you you know you go to a space station and there's like a different guilds like merchants guild or mercenary guilds. You take on missions. Each each space station has resources that you can buy, and there's a uh, a stock market like valuation of that resources to given the day and the and the and the part of the galaxy. So while you're running your regular missions, you could be also stockpiling things and going to another space station and looking at the sort of the, the value of that market that day and selling it, right? Or trading it or using the, the money earned to upgrade your ship. It's a really nice loop um, that happens because you can dogfight. It's, it's basically you're dogfighting, but um, you, as a result of that, you get like a tractor beam that lets you collect the resources after you destroy a freighter or an enemy ship or the pilot you can <laughs> capture the pilot for bounty if you wanted to um i've, I've been having a lot of fun with it because all this again the sort of the, the the crafting resource management part of the game is really really compelling and it ties in really well to the sort of the the fiction of the world of being a, a mercenary in space it seems like definitely the most impactful when these crafting systems like touch into the heart of what the game is trying to do. Right. Then I'll, I'll, typically, I'll, I'll close this out the way I typically do. And, and Eka, how do you think the industry can improve on the way that it incorporates crafting systems into game design? Um, I, I think making sure this, the systems, whether it's a combat system or crafting, in this case crafting, adapt it in a way that makes sense for the type of game, the world, the characters, the decision-making. Uh, of that world, I think the the better that can be sort of uh, naturally integrated instead of feeling like, as long as the player doesn't feel like a tacked on system. Oh, they added crafting just because crafting is a thing that should have be ha- you know be in the, in the in a game. I think I think the more naturally it's integrated, the the better, more successful it will be. Jared, how about you? What do you think the industry can do better to improve crafting systems in game design? I haven't really even considered the colonialism aspect of satisfactory until you guys brought it up and well Steve, you brought you brought it up you you literally you, you literally said the word sure <laughs> yeah and i didn't really even think about it it was just another game you land on an alien planet and you mine resources like we've seen a lot of stuff but steve you also said something like to the effect that crafting as a means to create rather than destroy and i would like to see crafting implemented in that way more often I think that's one of the reasons that I like Satisfactory so much is because you are crafting to make more parts for your factory to make more parts to do other things and mine resources and stuff like that. And while that game is in early access, I would like to see them maybe, you know, incorporate like how can we cons- conserve our resources on this planet and the the life that lives here. But for the most part right now, the gameplay loop is you're crafting to create and not as much as to destroy. And I really like that idea. 
Uh, and I would like to see them continue to evolve that in a way that is is more of a, a positive experience and not about destroying. I, I like that aspect too. Like if, if games treat, like let's say you go hunting, there's your resources and you can like just kill all the deer in the world and that's it. No more spawn <laughs> versus being more conservative with it, right? Like hunt so, so many so there's enough time to, um, you know, repopulate. I think those are interesting sort of things to think about for game design too. I, I think one of the, the um, uh, and people probably get tired of hearing me talk about it on the show, but I think player agency is, is the most important aspect of video game design. And I think that as a player, I value when I'm able to sort of set my own goals and then go about achieving them with a, you know, a certain degree of freedom within the rule set of whatever game I'm playing. But I think, I think crafting systems have this power to allow the player to do exactly like what I'm saying, to set your own goal. Like there, there's something about like, oh, I want to make this perfect trench coat as I'll return to my, my example over you and over again. trench coats. I know. I just need to buy a trench coat and get it over with. Um, it's summer here in Arizona. I don't know what I would do with one. <laughs> that, and it's not 1999 anymore. I know. Um, <laughs> the, but, you know, like if, if that's, something that I can, a goal that I can set for myself, right? Like I want to, I want to make the best version of this thing that I can. I think crafting systems can allow the player to, to create those scenarios within games to, to, um, to have their own agency on like what they want to achieve within that game that can be achieved in a lot of ways. And that it doesn't necessarily have to be a, in a crafting system, but I think crafting systems, at least the way that they're, they're implemented now have so much power in that, in that space that I would like to see that expanded upon more of, of, you know, letting the player decide what it is that they want to do within the systems of the game and then giving them the tools to be able to go out and accomplish that without the need for things like a quest giver and exposition and cutscenes and those kinds of things that we so traditionally rely on for motivating player action. So that's my thing. This is where I sound like I'm on drugs. No, I mean, at least you're consistent. <laughs> no. <laughs> at least I'm consistent. At least I sound like I'm consistently on drugs. <laughs> Whatever. It sounds good to me. All right, perfect. Well, as long as I got you both to sign off on it, you're both accomplices now. <laughs> I think our goal for this podcast is to just make this amorphous, perfect game that Steve is dreaming up. I know, and it doesn't even make any sense, and I'm sure it's riddled with inconsistencies. <laughs> it's called Star Wars Galaxy. It's called Star Wars the Galaxy. Someone HD just copy that, please. Remake. HD remake. The crafting edition. <laughs> we've stripped, we've stripped out all of the monsters. We've stripped out all the other players and the planets. It's just crafting. You now. like Jedi's too bad. <laughs> Craft your own. Perfect. Well, if any of our listeners have any questions or comments about crafting, you can always reach out to us at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Also, if you have any ideas for future episode topics you'd like us to talk about, send those along as well. I don't think we have any listener feedback this week, right, Jared? Nope. You guys have failed me today. Send more feedback. Our, send us feedback, please. Please. We love hearing it. We love reading it. We love um, getting back to all, to all of our listeners. So please, podcast at gbfeature.com or at GB feature on Twitter. That's going to do it for this episode. Before we get out here, I have to thank our guest, Eka. Man, thank you so much for being here. Like I said, the games that you've made have, have like had a big impact on me. Super Monday Night Combat being one of the biggest ones. So it, it's truly an honor to have you on the show, man. Oh, thank you so much. It's been, it's been fun. Not, it's not to make me think about crafting systems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where can, where can people find your work? How can they keep up with you? So we're at OuterLoopGames.com, O-U-T-E-R-L-O-O-P.com, or OuterLoopGames 
on Twitter or Econaut, E-K-A-N-A-U-T on Twitter. Perfect. And I will say it again. If you haven't done so already, go check out Falcon Age. The, the bird is absolutely adorable. And I guarantee you'll fall in love with it the moment you see it. As a reminder, we release new episodes of this podcast every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and you want to help us out, head over to iTunes and give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast. This is Rad on iTunes. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Stephen underscore the gamer on Twitter. I'm at Jared Bruner. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.